0: Good morning, Boker Tov. Okay, this morning we're going to do a little bit of an abridged Parsha class. We're still going to study a section uh, very carefully, because immediately following the Parsha class, uh, we have a class on the uh, topic of transgender, which is very much in the news, and is a fascinating topic from a Torah perspective. So let's, uh, let's talk about the Parsha first. Parsha Shlach. This Shabbos we have the privilege of reading Parsha Shlach, as always. It's too loud? I've never had that complaint before <laughs> This Shabbos we have the privilege of reading Parsha Shlach And uh, as always we'll do an overview of the Parsha And then delve into the specific Pesukim That we want to look at more closely Parsha Shlach is in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash Page 798 And it begins with Moshe Rabbeinu's command Of Shlach Lachan Hashem V'yasuru as or Hashem's command Hashem speaks to Moshe and tells him Send men V'yasuru As Eretz Kanan To investigate the land Norman Morkovsky, who should be well, always complains when people say, spy out. It's not English. He didn't send people to spy out the land. That's not proper English. He sent them to investigate the land. Via surus eretz And, uh, of course, we know that ultimately this mission, this notion of sending individuals in advance in order to investigate the land uh, ultimately yielded horrific results, results that we continue to suffer from until this very day results that will be observed in a short time on our calendar with Tisha B'Av. individuals who served in this role were not insignificant men these were not trite men these were not very uh, pedestrian men these were the leaders of the tribes leaders of the nation anashim chashudem rashi tells us there was a lashan chashivus these were kshirim hayu these were tamide chacham these were the righteous of the door these were the gedolei who were sent and one of the questions, we're not going to discuss it at length today. We've discussed it in the past. You can listen online. How could it be that such incredible leaders, wise, scholars, virtuous men, how could they come back and fail so miserably? The Rebun Shalom says, I'm taking you into the land that I've promised you and I will accompany you to conquer it. And they come back and say, eh, not so sure. Not so simple. How is it possible? What was their failure? What was at the root or the core of where they went wrong. We've spoken about that in the past. Moshe Davin's for Yehoshua. Before he goes, Kalev takes a detour and finds strength by going to the grave of our uh, patriarchs in, in, uh, in Hebron. They go on their investigation, they go on their mission, and they come back. And what do they come back and report? They report that we arrived in the land and there are giants. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But look at the size of this fruit. Look at the size of the people that live there. It's an intimidating land. It's a land that uh, I'm afraid of. It'll be difficult. And of course, how do the people respond? There's national hysteria. That entire night. They all went back to their tents. They heard this, they heard this description. And they cried. And of course, we know Khazal Tell us. That since they cried at Bachir since they cried for no reason, Hashem said, I've promised you everything's gonna be okay. You're making a whole to-do, you're crying, you're fearful, you're anxious, you're aborting the whole plan. You're crying for nothing? I'll give you a reason to cry. And what night was that? It was Tishab of night. Ghost Baruch was set in the calendar that Tishab would be an inauspicious day on our calendar in perpetuity, and so has it been Horrific calamities have befallen our people throughout our history. Davka on that day, designated as an inauspicious day, designated as a day of crying. Question I have for you is very simple. The Bachia Shachinam is Perek Yudalad. The first Pesach of Perak Yudalad. Chapter 14, verse 1. Question I have for you is very simple. What did they do so bad? The Miraglim come back. We, they become our arch-villains. We suffered. Forty years, we wander through the desert. We know them as the villains, the Miraglim, until this very day. Tishabov, when we're hungry and tired and our breath stinks and we're sitting on the floor and our back aches, we're cursing out those Miraglim. that it's still their fault. But I have a simple question. What did the Miraglim do wrong with their report? After all, they came back and they relayed, they described exactly what they had seen. Moshe sent them to go, Arts, investigate the land. It's a recognizance mission. Come back and tell us what you see. And they come back and they say, the land is fruitful, the people are strong, they live in fortified cities. Even Kalev and Yeshua set a similar report. So why are they such arch-villains for simply reporting what what they saw? We'll get back to that in a moment. And the people... Could not be satisfied, they could not be placated, there was national hysteria. Kirchborchu responds very strongly, Moshe Davins on their behalf, Hashem forgives them, and instead of wiping out this experiment called the Jewish people and aborting the whole mission because they are so incorrigible, instead Hashem decides to send them on 40 years wandering in the desert, and those who had participated, who had contributed to this night of crying for nothing, would not ultimately realize the dream of entering the land itself. Hashem spells out the degree. You have a nation who realizes it's too late. Some try to make a last minute rush. And uh, and then the Torah continues. On page 810, the parsha continues, Perak Tezvav, chapter 15, with the obligation of, we return to Korbanos, and the different libations. Niso Chayayin, and uh, the parsha continues with the mitzvah of Chala, the obligation to tithe, to separate a portion of our dough, which really is designated for koanim, for priests. We studied a few weeks ago that since today, we can't say with complete confidence that we are uh, sure of the genealogy, the yichus of priests. We no longer give it to koanim, but instead we burn the challah. But the dough is not permitted until the challah is taken. We then have uh, some of the laws of idolatry. We have the famous case of the mikoshesh Eitzim, which we've studied in the past. You could listen online. This individual who violated the laws of Shabbos, and who did Chazal say he was? Who is the, <laughs> the <laughs> Mekoshe Sheitzim? The father of the, uh, the It's Slavchad. The father of the B'nai Slavchad. <laughs> it's Slavchad. It's Slavchad. And he did it on purpose because he did an Avera L'Shema. He was trying to demonstrate the severity of violating Shabbos. Is there a concept of taking one for the team, of doing an Avera L'Shema, of doing something wrong for righteous reasons? We've discussed that in the past. And our parsha ends with the paragraph familiar to us as the third paragraph of Shema, the paragraph that deals with titzis, and that's what we're going to look at. It's on page 816, Perek Tezvav, Pasuk Lamed Zion, chapter 15, verse 37. Says the Torah, God speaks to Moshe, saying, Why, by the way, sits come right after the Makoshe Sheitzim? What's the connection? A theme that we see in Rashi often is to understand not only the messages from the verses themselves, but the contrast, the juxtaposition, the placement of the different sections in the parsha can yield lessons and messages. So, why is Parshish Tzitzis? Why are the laws of wearing Tzitzis come right after the story of the Nekosheish Eitzim? Normally, Rashi quotes a Chazal, Lama nismacha. Here it's not Rashi, but rather the Orachayim Makadosh. Look at the Orachayim Pasag Lama zayin. Says the Orachayim, Vayomer Hashemah Moshe, Ta'am Shinoi Parshah Zushah Omar Vayomer, Mashayim Kemacholotorah Shakulanu Omer, Vayadaber. Here it says, Vayomer Hashemah Moshe. Why doesn't it say, right? The whole nature of this class we began was to have. A sensitivity to the text. We're not giving highfalutin acharonish adivrei Torah. We're sticking with the mikros gedolos. Our rishonim who were sensitive to the text, who saw grammatical anomalies and redundancies, and were bothered by different usage of words. So here the Orachaim says he's not a rishon, the ben benatar. But here the Orachaim is part of the mikros gedolos nonetheless. And he says, why does it say vayomer Hashem when normally it says vayidaber Hashem? So he explains. The Medrash says that after the episode of the Mekoshesh, Moshe sees this man, exactly what was the Malacha? Was it gathering and bundling? Was it carrying? What exactly did the Mekoshesh do Is a discussion? But after Moshe sees the violation of Shabbos, he comes to Hashem and he says, well, what do you expect? They put on tefillin in the weekday, and when they put on tefillin during the weekday, it inspires, it motivates, it grounds them. But Shabbos, we don't wear tefillin. So what do you expect? That the man lost his way, and he ended up violating Shabbos. What reminder can there possibly be for Shabbos? And what did Hashem answer? Hei <laughs> I'm going to give the mitzvah of tzitzis seven days a week. All the time. And through the mitzvah of tzitzis, Man will remember. Instead of Vayidaber, which is the speaker initiated, Vayomer sounds like responding. So based on this Medrash, Hashem was not initiating a mitzvah of tzitzis out of nowhere. Hashem was responding to Moshe's argument. Look what happened with the Mishka Rosh what do you expect? They were tefillin during the week. You don't know, wear tefillin on Shabbos. So he they came, they came to this Avera. Hashem's response is, Vayomer Hashem. Not to worry. I've got a reminder, a string to tie around, not the finger, but his garment. And we will be able to remember throughout the week. That is the Orach Ha'em Continue. Speak to the Jewish people and say to them, V'yasu lahem tzitzis al kanfei v'gdeihem ledor v'nasnu al titsis akanaf speak to the children of Israel and say to them they should make tzitzis on the corners of their clothing throughout their generations place on the tzitzis of each corner a thread of turquoise a thread of turquoise on each corner by the way halakhically, it says where do the tzitzis belong if you have your four cornered garment the tzitzis should not dangle from the bottom this is quoted by the Shulchan Aruch and explained by the Mishnah Brurah al Knaf. Kanaf is the corner. How can you have strings hanging on a corner? It doesn't say strings hang from the corner. It says the strings hang on the corner. So if this is a corner, if the strings were to hang down, they'd be hanging from the corner. In order to have the strings hang on the corner, they're supposed to hang off the side. So one should be careful, both with the talus cotton and talus guggle, both with the tzitzis you wear under your shirt and with the talus you wear during davening, that the strings are adjusted, that they're hanging off the side. Not hanging straight down. That's a halacha based on the pasuk al kenaf. The titsis are supposed to be on the corner, on the corner. And what is the purpose of these titzis? Why are we instructed to tie a string? Continues the parsha. Vayolachem letitzis. They should be for you titzis. Uri oso. See them. And when you see them, you will remember all of Hashem's mitzvos. and then you will obey them. Velosasuru And do not. Velosasuru. Do not. Translate. What? Velosasuru. How does our article translate it? Do not explore. But I'll give you a hint to the question we began with earlier. Velosasuru means do not investigate. That word should be familiar. This, this parsha has bookends. Mm-hmm. Do not explore or investigate after your heart or after your eyes. That you are drawn after them. Why? So that you remember and observe all my mitzvos. And then you will be Holy to God. <speaking in Hebrew> for after all, I am Hashem your God who took you out of Egypt. <speaking in Hebrew> to be for you a God. <speaking in Hebrew> I am Hashem your God. So what's the purpose of these tits? You draw, you draw, why do you tie a string around your finger? Why do you set a reminder? You put your watch on your other hand? It's a reminder. When you have strings, you will look at them and you will remember that we have a uniform, that we are accountable to a higher authority. And it will remind us to live the lifestyle and to meet the expectations that are set that are set of us. How does it work? So Rashi tells us through a great gematria. The gematria of tzitzis is six hundred. There are eight threads. There are five knots, and that adds to a total of. Six hundred and thirteen. So, when you look down at those tzitzis, you see that tzitzis in gematria, the numerical value is six hundred. There are eight strings, and there are five knots. Six hundred and thirteen. You remember the six hundred and thirteen mitzos by looking at the by looking at the right. Why yes. do we add the word ms afterwards? It's the beginning of the paragraph of emunah. Why, why do we El yeah, okay. mm-hmm. ms the Amuna and so on? We're we're continuing right into that next paragraph. It's a good question, for another time. Let's let's get back. To, look at these four now. What are you supposed to remember from Rashi? It sounds like what the tzitzis are there to remind you. They're a catalyst to remind you of what to do, of the mitzvos, of your obligations. According to the Sforno, the tzitzah serve to remind you that you are not independent, you're not the boss of your own life, you don't live your own world, that we are responsible and accountable. We are avadim lakel yasparach. We are servants of the Almighty. We have accepted His commandments with an oath. We stood in our Sinai and we made a promise. We're part of a covenantal community. We are bound by a constitution, by laws. And this is the, uh, we look at the tittus, it's like the signature of a master on his, on his slave. So in other words, very interesting. For Rashi, you look at the tittus and you remember, oh, the gematria, 600 and eight strings and five knots, six, eight, uh, I got to keep mitzvahs. For the svarno, the tzitzes are working in an entirely different way. Not thinking about the mitzvahs, but thinking about the relationship. If you work for a corporation that has you wear a uniform, you go to work every day and you're wearing the company shirt, so you remember that during those work hours, your time is not your own. Stop surfing the web, stop looking at Facebook, stop making private calls, stop uh, taking a, a drimmel on the couch. Your time is not your own. You have a job, you have a responsibility. You owe A debt, you're being paid, you receive compensation for what you bring that company. You see that uniform and it reminds you of your obligation. The tzitzis says the Svarno are the uniform. That when we see the tzitzis, we remember, I'm not a person. I can't just do what I want. I have a mission. I have a purpose. I'm part of a covenantal community. I have to accomplish something. There are expectations of me. There's a lifestyle demanded of me. So again, it's very interesting. Rashi says the tzitzes serve to remind the mitzvos, and the Tsvaro sees the tzitzes as serving to remind us of the relationship. And when you wear that uniform, you remember not to pursue your eyes and your heart. Really, you know, you go to work. So right now you feel like uh, going for a walk. Right now you feel like taking a nap on the couch. Right now you feel like going to play golf, but you realize you can't. I have a job. I'm going to lose my job. I'm paid, I'm compensated, I'm rewarded because I have certain obligations. So you wear the tzitzes, you realize, I have a mission in this world. It's not about what I want right now. It's about how am I mo- best fulfilling my purpose in having been, in having been created. So that is the opinion of the of Sfarna. How does it work, this notion of following your heart? How does this notion of following your heart? So back to Rashi. Rashi already creates the connection for us. Isn't it incredible the book ends to this Parsha? Most people don't notice. The Parsha began with Moshe sending, or Hashem sending the people on a mission. Shlach an ya suru es eretz Send men to the Asuru. via aturu means to go investigate. That's the beginning of the Parsha. And the end of the Parsha is v'lo-sasuru. <speaking in Hebrew> Do not investigate. So Rashi just tells us the use of the word. Interesting that it's the same word. How does it work, says Rashi? Just like the spies were sent to investigate the land, our eyes and our heart are the spies of the body. How does the body know what it wants? The body knows there's chocolate cake in the room. How does the body know there's chocolate cake? That it shouldn't be eating. Because the eyes see that chocolate cake. Okay, maybe the nose smells the chocolate cake. Maybe the ears hear someone else say, mmm, after they ate the chocolate cake. But... (laughs) The eyes and the heart are the spies that investigate the world for the body. The body on its own would just eat the bare necessities in order to be able to have nourishment to live. What, what draws the body? What is the Yetzirah that elicits the interest of the body? The eyes and the heart, says Rashi, are the spies of the body. Ha'ayin ro'ah, the eye sees. Vahalev chomed, and then the heart longs, yearns and then the body goes into action to go pursue or eat or do or say or listen or touch all that it should not do the eye sees the heart yearns the body acts that is the formula for our downfall so it says Rashi what therefore needs to be protected if the eye sees and the heart longs and the body then acts how do we avoid the self-destructive behavior how do we avoid what we shouldn't say listen to touch eat want, and so on, by protecting and guarding our eyes. eyes. If the eyes are the window to the world, and the eyes are the spies of the world, you need to protect, you need to guard the eyes. And that's what this third paragraph of Shema is about. You wear the tzitzis, which are visible to the eye. And it reminds the eye to stay focused on what is important, not to be drawn to that which will become self-destructive. That is the process, that is the formula of what is going on here. The Ibn Ezra makes a fascinating comment. Look at the Ibn Ezra. Now, there's a little secret about tzitzes that we don't tell our young boys in school. And that is, are you obligated to wear tzitzis? I happen to be wearing tzitzes. Are you obligated to wear titsus? No. If you're wearing a four cornered garment, you must have titsus on the corners. But if you're not wearing a four cornered garment, there's no obligation. There's a kiyamah mitzvah, it's a mitzvah kiyumis. You fulfill a mitzvah when you're wearing a four cornered garment, but you're not obligated to put on a four cornered garment. If you're wearing a four cornered garment, it is obligated in titsus. So says the Ibn Ezra. <laughs> If you own a four-cornered garment, says the Ibn Ezra, it is virtuous to wear it all day. Because the whole purpose was to have this reminder, this built-in anchor, compass, to remind you. So if you own a four-cornered garment, wear it. Why do we have the custom German Jews, Yekaz, Already from the time of Bar Mitzvah, maybe even younger, Sfarim from a time of being very young, but all other Ashkenazim only from the time of being married. Why do we wear a talis gadol? Why do we wear a tallis when we daven? So Ibn Ezra says, because when you daven, you're saying the paragraph of Shema. So you're saying the paragraph of Shema, you're saying Shema, which has the paragraph of Titzis. You're saying the paragraph of Titzis, you wear a tallis in order to mark it. But he says, Raklafi daati, Yosir hukhiv, lis atef, but which is more important To wear tzitzis the whole day Or wear a when you daven Says the Ibn Ezra All the men who wear the talas when they daven But they don't wear tzitzis all day long What are you going to sin? During davening? During davening your eyes see something And draw your heart And bring your body to action of avera While you're davening? No, the worst thing that happens during davening is your mind wanders, you don't have kavana, But you're not exactly eating, saying, touching, doing things during davening that are such horrific uh, indiscretions. So when do you need the protection of tzitzis? When do you need the reminder of tzitzis? Not during davening, he says. It's wearing tzitzis the rest of the day, says the Ibn Ezra. As important as it is to wear a tallis during davening, we should inspire ourselves to wear tzitzis the rest of the day. The rest of the day as well. The... Um, The Ramban comments here as well. We're titsis and don't forget Shabbos. I think the Ramban is also alluding to why does the Parsha Titsis appear here after the story of the sheitim, the violation of Shabbos? He quotes Rashi. How does tits work? Oh, a gematria of 600 plus the 8 strings plus the 5 knots 613 boom you're never going to do enough error says the Ramban I never understood Rashi because if you look at the gematria the word tzitzis the way it's spelled in Torah is missing a yud so it really adds up to 590 it does not add up to 600 And according to Beishelele, it's three strings, not eight. And really, there's only two knots, not five. So he says, where did Rashi come up with this gematria? That's how it's working. The Ramban does not like the suggestion of Rashi about how Tzitzis is able to enable us to observe. He says, that's not how it works. Says the Ramban, here's how it works. And here's the thought I want to leave you with that links the end of our Pasha to the beginning of our Pasha, I think, in an incredible way. Says the Ramban, how does Tzitzis work? Because there's a contrast, you have strings of the eight strings. One of them was a debate exactly how you tie it. We have living in miraculous times. We lost the tchelas for many centuries, and there have been many attempts over the centuries to rediscover them. In the last century, the Radzina Rebbe, a Hasidic Rebbe in Eastern Europe, thought he had rediscovered tchelas. Rabbi Klein of Levracha used to wear the t'cheles of the Razina Rebbe. But many have said that the Razina Rebbe are not real t'cheles. But we live in a time in Israel, a group of individuals went snorkeling, they found the snails, the chilazon, and there's a lot of evidence that supports the notion that we have rediscovered the real t'cheles. Um Rav Shechter Shlita wears t'cheles, and uh, numerous others acknowledge that they are real t'cheles. Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach it was said of him that he believed these were the real t'cheles. When he was asked why he didn't wear them, I don't know if this story is true, I was told, his answer was that when the Radzina Rebbe put t'cheles on his talus and said he was discovered, they locked him out of the community in Mikvah. They thought it was heretical to suggest he could have rediscovered khilas. So they said, Rishlam Arbach, I'm too old to get locked out of the mikvah. I just want to continue to be able to go to the mikvah. So um, we we arguably have the real thailas again today, that turquoise color, which the Torah tells us that it's the contrast of the turquoise to the white, which should inspire. us. How does that work? What's the mechanism? So the Ramban quotes Sharoma is a koshi amar." that color turquoise of that one string of trelas is reminiscent of the color of the sea. The yam and the color of the sea is reminiscent of the heavens. And you start to think about the heavens, you're going to be drawn to the throne of glory. you're going to think about the Almighty. T'cheles is something that you can see from afar and the whole mechanism through which it sits is works not Rashi not the sfarna but the Ramban tapping into another statement of Chazal is you see that turquoise color and all of a sudden what kicks in? Your imagination. Ah, oh, the turquoise that reminds me of the sea that reminds me of the heavens Ah, oh, this Hashem I didn't create this world I'm not independent but there's someone to whom I owe my life, and there are expectations of the lifestyle I'm going to live. For the Ramban, tzitzis works. Tzitzis perpetually elicits our imagination, and we are drawn to think about a It's nothing about the tzitzis proper. It's not the knots and the strings and the gematria. It's not the uniform of wearing the tzitzis. It's the imagination that the tzitzis that the tzitzis draws from. And I would like to humbly suggest to you that it's not a coincidence. The beginning of the parsha, when Moshe sends them, it says. He sends them a surat Eretz Canaan and it says, mahi." Moshe says, I want you to what does Uri mean? I want you to see the land. We classically translate Uri as to see the land. And we therefore understand Moshe's direction was go to Israel and observe, look, see, and come back and report. And if that's accurate, if that's what they were meant to do, then they didn't do anything wrong. They came back and they reported exactly what they saw. I would like to humbly suggest to you this morning that Moshe was commanding them to do something different. Uri doesn't mean to see. Uri means to imagine. A different type of seeing. A seeing that draws you to see beyond what is right in front of your eyes. And that's not coincidental. In the beginning of the parsha, it's Uri Isim Esar, it's go see the land. And at the end of the parsha, it's Uri Isim Oso, see the tzitzis. And what is it you see in the tzitzis? That's this Gemara in Menachos that the Ramban was quoting. Why is tchelis chosen? Because when you see the tzitzis, the tchelis, it reminds you of the sea, it reminds you of the heavens, reminds you of God's throne of glory. So when you see the tzitzis, you're not supposed to look at what lies right before you. You're supposed to look with imagination beyond what is in front of you. You're supposed to, what are you supposed to use? A sense of vision. Not just use your eyeballs, not just see, but we're supposed to use a sense of vision. And when Moshe sent them to Israel, I would humbly submit to you that what he was saying was, don't just see what is in front of you. Use your vision. Imagine. The spies came back and they reported exactly what they saw. Kalev and Yehoshua came back and they reported what could be. They reported a vision of what would be based on Hashem's promise. Both of them said the truth. One said what they saw and the other saw what they envisioned. But Hashem doesn't want to limit us to live a life of what we see on the surface. He wants us to have vision. We've been charged as a people throughout our history not just to look at what is right in front of us. If all we did was ever look at what was right in front of us, we would have given up a long time ago. We have throughout our history overcome impossible odds. We have confronted impossible challenges. But we've succeeded in retaining our sense of hope and optimism. We've overcome those odds. Why? Because we refused to ever accept what we saw right in front of us. Instead, we chose to have vision instead of sight. Imagination instead of observation. What if Moshe looked at the might of the Egyptian empire and never challenged Paro to let his people go? What if the Maccabees had only considered the facts and never revolted against the Greeks? What if Rav Yochanan ben Zakkai observed the power of Vespasian and never asked for Yavna and the sages? What if in 1948 and 1967 the brave men and women of Israel had truly accepted the impossible chances of overcoming the many nations and gave up, right? Our history is replete with using vision rather than using sight. And I think that's what's going on in the two bookends of the Parsha. Moshe sends them to go have a sense of vision. And how do you know that? He sends them Masura Sa'arats. Investigate the land of Uri And the end of the parsha tells us about how you have imagination, how you have vision, because it says, Velosa Suru. Don't follow after, don't investigate. Instead, ur'isem, look at the tzitzis. And when you look at those tzitzis, don't just see what's on the surface. Have some imagination. See the. Imagine, remember, the sea, which will remind you of the heavens, which reminds you of the throne of glory. Now you may wonder, why don't women wear tzitzis? That's all well and good. Everything I just described is lovely. So I'll tell you what you will consider apologetics and platitudes, but I believe it's true. The Torah is saying it's true. Is that men are much more likely and susceptible, more vulnerable to forget, to lose their anchor, to forget their way, to not be spiritually anchored. They need the reminders. They need the reminders of time-bound mitzvot. Men need to be told, did you do Avon Shachras yet? Did you get Mincha in? Marev? you lose track of time, you lose track of, of values. It's much. Men are more vulnerable to be flighty and to lose track and need those visceral reminders in order to keep them rooted. Again, you could consider that apologetics and platitudes, or you could Google and see that in fact men and women are wired differently. It's not a Jewish apologetic, but it's a reality of the world that we live in. And the Torah corresponds with that reality of the world that God created in terms of what the Torah set in place of the differences for men and for women, which is a perfect segue to our next subject. (laughs) So yes, we're going to end. Quick question? Yeah. I don't know if this is true or not, but there are some people who say that men do not have to wear tzitzis at night. You don't wear tzitzis at night. So that's... The is the not... Night it's not the... Before the, the well, there's a whole discussion whether, you know, Ksus Yom, the clothing of night, the clothing of day, if you're wearing the clothing of night during the day. There's a big question. Is titzis a chovas Mona, chobas Gavra? Is titzis an obligation on the person or on the clothing? There's a lot of chabur, there's A lot of love this to share on this. But today we're just dealing with the psukim themselves. Yeah, I want to get on to our next subject. So. Is there a rationale in that many people wear their titzis tucked in if don't see? Them? Oh, so there's a whole discussion. Yeah, the simple understanding of the halacha is that your tzitzis should be visible because that's the whole mechanism by which they work. The Ariz al wore wears under his clothing in terms of the garment. they will see many Chasidim who wear the entire beged on top of their clothing. But in terms of the visibility of the tzitzis, it seems from the simple understanding of the halacha, that tzitzis should be visible because that's the whole way the tzitzis work. Now they could hang loose. There's some who put them through the loop of their belt. So they're a little bit more discreet. But the tzits, some say that the tits are visible when you put them on. That's when they remind you and then you tuck them in. There are different justifications for the different practices. Helen, last comment. You do need balance, correct? People who just have vision and they're not rooted in the reality will take an organization bankrupt. So you need you need both, and you do need a, you need a balance. You do need a balance. There actually is something remarkable we learned from the ten, but um, we don't have time now. I may speak about it tonight. I'm speaking at the Chabad Chag Hasmicha. So uh, I must have given the shirim okay on the Rebbe that I didn't canceled that after I gave the shirim. So I, I may talk about that there, but it's a good question. Remind me to tell you another time.